Good morning. Uh, we're going to continue our series through the book of Acts. Hopefully you've been reading along and, and you're all caught up now. You should be about done if you're following the plan that we're in. But we have one more week uh, in the series. Uh, next week will be the last one where we're going to go over Acts 29. And so good luck finding that in your Bible. I'll explain that to you afterwards if you want to ask. But today we're going to wrap up by talking about um, the life of Paul. So what we've learned so far is that the book of Acts is about how the Holy Spirit moves through the church to advance the kingdom. Uh, that's why we're calling it church, a moving story. It's about the movement of the Holy Spirit in the church to advance the kingdom. And we've seen how the Holy Spirit has moved through the church in a variety of ways. And today we're going to talk specifically about how the, the Holy Spirit moves through danger. That, that danger is sometimes in the way of what needs to happen in the kingdom of God. And instead of eliminating the danger or moving us around the danger, often the Holy Spirit will just take us right through the danger uh, in order to advance the kingdom. We have a more <clears throat> safety-conscious society today than we did when I was growing up. And many of you can tell stories like I could of things that we did for fun as kids that are now illegal right? Um, we, uh, when I was in middle school in the neighborhood that I lived in, in suburbs of Atlanta, um, Georgia, by the way, Atlanta, Indiana doesn't have suburbs, a um, bunch of kids in our neighborhood. And the thing that we would do for fun is we would play chicken on our bicycles. You guys, you guys know how to play chicken? Um, some of you have probably done this on tractors because you live in Indiana. Uh, but we would play chicken on our bicycles, which means you drive straight at each other head on. And the first one to veer off to avoid a, a collision and certain injury uh, is a chicken. And nobody wants to be a chicken when you're 12. So uh, we did this a lot and I never turned. I was not going to be the chicken. So I got hurt a lot. Um, one time um, I had to ride my sister's bicycle because uh, mine was stolen and hers was pink and white, which was very intimidating to all the other middle schoolers in my neighborhood. And uh, you know, came at this kid straight on and he wasn't going to be the chicken either. So we crashed head on and my sister's bicycle broke in half. It just snapped into two pieces. And so I had to carry it back to her like this. She was not uh, real happy. But those kind of things, that's, that was just how we played. You know, you, you learn by getting hurt. <laughs> that's, how, that's how we learned, right? Um, but what we live in now is a much more safety conscious society. And in some ways that's very positive. We have you know, fewer injuries, but um, there's a phrase, I learned a new term this week kind of looking into this. The term is zero harm society. Uh, we have uh, sort of this movement to create what would be known as a zero harm society. And the philosophy behind that is every injury can be prevented, whether it's a physical injury or emotional injury, every injury can be prevented. And since every injury can be prevented, every injury should be prevented. And it's the goal of society to create an environment where no one ever gets hurt. That's, that's a mentality that is sort of driving uh, a lot of the safety uh, conscious stuff that we see in our world today and some legislation and things like that. Well, th there may be some good things about that. I think one of the downsides is I, I learned a lot by getting hurt. There, there are a lot of times when it took me getting injured for me to go, I probably should not do that again. <laughs> the, that's, a, that's the way we learn. And when it comes to our faith, I think we have to ask a question. Are there some things that we learn as we grow in our faith that, that often are the result of pain or injury or danger or risk or at the least discomfort and inconvenience 
I think we need to ask ourselves, if my highest priority is my safety, how will that impact how I follow Jesus? Or for many, many of us as adults, our highest priority is often not our own safety. It would be the safety of our children or grandchildren. If my highest priority for them is their safety, that they never get hurt, how will that impact how they follow Jesus? Are there things that we can only learn by putting ourselves at risk? That's a question that we're going to ask. And I, I think this is the thesis. This is my uh, suggested answer. And we're going to see if we can prove this out in the life of Paul. I believe that danger with Jesus is better than safety without Jesus. That danger with Jesus is better than safety without Jesus. So that's the thesis. Let's see if we can prove it through the life of Paul. We're going to go through the life of Paul from Acts chapter 9 to Acts chapter 28. So hope your fingers are fast. Good luck keeping up. In chapter 9, uh, Paul is going by the name Saul, and he is entirely opposed to Christianity. He does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he rose from the dead. So he's trying to wipe out Christianity by imprisoning Christians, and often, if, if it works out, uh, having them executed. So he's on his way to Damascus to do that very thing, and he meets Jesus. He's blinded by the light, and he goes from thinking that Jesus is dead to knowing that Jesus is alive, and it changes his life completely. And he goes to Damascus, a different person. And Jesus speaks to a man in Damascus, a faithful follower named Ananias. And he said, I want you to go and baptize Saul. And Ananias says, I think that's a terrible idea. Do you, do, Jesus, do you know who this guy is? He, he's coming to town to put people like me in jail. And you want me to baptize him? And Jesus said, yep. And, and what Jesus says to Ananias is, I have set Paul aside to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That was part of Jesus' plan. Paul was going to be a missionary to the Gentiles, and he was going to suffer a lot for the name of Jesus. So that's how Paul starts out his ministry. So he goes to Damascus, he gets baptized, and he starts preaching immediately that Jesus rose from the dead. And within a week, the Jews in Damascus who thought Paul was on their side are trying to kill him. <laughs> and he has to escape in the middle of the night, lowered in a basket through the wall. That's how he starts off his ministry. In Acts chapter 13, uh, Paul and his friend Barnabas are set aside by the church in Antioch to, to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to, to the known world. They're living out Acts 1.8. If you remember Acts 1.8, is kind of like the the theme for the whole book of Acts where Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? So they're living this out. They're saying, all right, Paul and Barnabas, we want you to start moving towards the ends of the earth. So they, they start off in a place called Cyprus, an island called Cyprus in the Mediterranean. And when they get there, they preach the gospel and guys, we're we're going to go through a pattern because Paul is going to go to a lot of places. And when you pick up on the pattern, I want you to say it with me, okay? So they go to Cyprus, they preach the gospel, and some believe and some oppose, okay? And uh, so a few disciples are made, but there's opposition to what they're doing. So they go from there um, <clears throat> to uh, the town of Antioch in Pisidia. This is a different Antioch from where they started. In Antioch and Pisidia, they preach the gospel. Jesus is alive. And some believe and some oppose. And the ones who oppose, oppose so strongly that they actually force Paul and Barnabas out of town. They, they say, get out. We don't want you here. They go from there to a town called Iconium. And in Iconium, they preach the gospel. Jesus is alive. And some 
believe and some oppose. And in Iconium, the opposition is so harsh that they actually try to kill Paul and Barnabas. They, they want them dead because of the message that they're proclaiming. But because some believe there are disciples in Iconium, and here's, here's what Paul has to say to the disciples in Iconium. This is Acts 14, 21 and 22. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Isn't that an exciting message? Isn't that a, a, a great inspiration and motivation? Hey, congratulations, you're a Christian now. Guess what? Many tribulations are on the, on the way into your life. This is going to be difficult. Why? <clears throat> Why would it be so difficult? Because being a Christian in a culture that is opposed to the way of Jesus is really difficult. We, we are swimming against the tide, against the flow of our culture every single day, every decision that we make, every interaction with another human, everything we do with our dollars and our time and our resources goes against our culture. And Paul just warns them right out of the gate, hey, congratulations, you're a Christian. This is gonna be hard. But where are they going? Paul says, many tribulations and you're entering the kingdom. You get to be a part of the kingdom of God where there is forgiveness for your sins, there's peace, there's joy, there's purpose. This is not just fruitless tribulation. This is tribulation because you're on your way to something amazing, an amazing life. And so this is the life Paul lives. So they go from there to a, a place called Lystra. And in Lystra, they, they preach the gospel. Jesus is alive and some believe and some Oppose. You, you, went, you took a nap on me. You're back. All right, here we go. And in Lystra, the opposition is so strong that they actually drag Paul outside the town and they stone him. They cast big rocks at his head, hoping that he'll die. But Paul doesn't die. His friends come out and they're like, you okay, man? He's like, yep. So he pops up, brushes himself off and goes right back in to Lystra. Um, from Lystra, Paul uh, tries to go to Asia. The, the Holy Spirit tells him not to go. Instead, he gets a call to go to Macedonia. And the, the chief city in Macedonia is a town called Philippi, a city called Philippi. <clears throat> so they go to Philippi and they preach the gospel. Jesus is alive. And some believe and some oppose. And the opposition in Philippi uh, leads to Paul and Silas now uh, is his traveling partner. Paul and Silas are arrested. They are beaten and they are imprisoned. And while they're in jail, they do like Hillsong karaoke uh, in the jail with all the people. And Jesus miraculously sets them free. And the jailer himself becomes a Christian. So they go from Philippi to Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, they preach the gospel. Jesus is alive. And some believe and some oppose. And the opposition forces Paul and Silas out of town. You can't stay here. You, you got to go. <clears throat> so they go from there to Berea. And in Berea, Paul preaches the gospel. Jesus is alive. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead. And some believe and some oppose. And the, actually, the opposition in Berea comes from Thessalonica. The people in Thessalonica were so mad that Paul got away from them that they chase him to Berea, and they stir up people in Berea saying, hey, this is a bad guy. You guys should do something about this. So this opposition follows him into Berea. So from Berea, he goes to Athens and he preaches a famous sermon in Acts 17. You should look that up. It's a really good sermon, but it's basically this. Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the dead. And some believe and some oppose. 
Then he goes from Athens to Corinth and he preaches the gospel and some, and some, correct. You, you guys are, you've got this. And by the time he gets to Corinth, you gotta know Paul is pretty beat up, like physically beat up. I mean, he's been, had rocks thrown at his head and he's had professional soldiers whip him within an inch of his life. But spiritually, he's got to be beat up as well. I mean, he's seeing some success. There are people coming to Christ, but everywhere he goes, there are people that not only don't like what he has to say, but they want him dead. That would get to you after a while, don't you think? So what happens in Corinth? In Acts 18, 9 and 10, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So Jesus comes alongside Paul and says, it's time for a break. You're going to have a time of peace. This city is not going to drive you out. You're not going to be stoned or imprisoned or beaten here. To which Paul's like, thank you. (laughs) Finally, a little bit of peace. So he stays in Corinth for about a year and a half. But what's so encouraging to me about this is that Paul must have been discouraged. He must have been afraid for Jesus to show up and say, don't be afraid. Paul must have had some doubts about whether he was doing the right thing because Jesus comes along and says, you're absolutely doing the right thing. You're preaching the gospel everywhere you go. Keep doing it. Don't stop. You're doing the right thing. And I just love that Jesus comes along and encourages Paul in this moment because sometimes I need that encouragement and sometimes you need that encouragement. It's discouraging to swim against the stream of the culture so frequently and run into all the opposition to living out the way of Jesus. Even though we get the peace with God that comes, we get the joy of knowing that God is in control and he is with us. We get the purpose of having good work to do, all of those things we can't find anywhere else, but it's difficult, isn't it? So Jesus encourages Paul Uh, And he stays in Corinth for a while. In Acts 19, he goes to uh, the big city of Ephesus. And in Ephesus, Paul preaches the gospel. Jesus is alive. He died for your sins and he rose from the dead. And some believe and some oppose. But a lot of people believe. I mean, in Ephesus, there is a huge revival. And people who were involved in idol worship and sorcery and all kinds of things uh, just cash out. They're done with all of that. And they go all in with Jesus. And Paul begins to train up other leaders in Ephesus to go out and spread the gospel. Do you remember when Paul wanted to go to Asia and the Holy Spirit said no, so he sent him to Macedonia instead? And you wonder, well, do the people in Asia not get to hear the gospel? Look at Acts 19.10. This is what happens out of Paul's home base of ministry in Ephesus. This continued for two years. That is, Paul preaching the gospel, some believe, some oppose. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord both Jews and Greeks. That's, that's a lot of people, all the residents of Asia. Now, we're not talking about Asia as we know it today. We're talking about Asia Minor, which we would know as Turkey today. But still, that's a big place, hundreds of thousands of people. And Scripture says that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord because Paul was training up people and sending them out from Ephesus to take the gospel all over the place there. So this is a very successful ministry. It would have been really easy for Paul to stay, and he did stay for about two years, in Ephesus. But Paul is not a stayer. Paul's a goer. Paul's a starter. So he leaves. And he, and he says when he leaves, 
uh, in Acts 19.21. It says, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and then go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So Paul is living out this mission that Jesus established in Acts 1.8. You're gonna be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And Paul knows, he's, I've gotta go back to Jerusalem at some point and then I've gotta to get to Rome. Rome is the center of the world as we know it. I've gotta to get to Rome so the gospel can get to the ends of the earth. That's Paul's mission. So he goes back uh, to Greece. He faces opposition there. And then uh, he sets his face to Rome in Acts 20, uh, 22 and 23. Uh, Paul says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So Paul says, the Holy Spirit wants me to go to Jerusalem, but the Holy Spirit is also telling me bad things are going to happen in Jerusalem. So I got to go, but it's going to be bad. And we have to ask ourselves, where does the faith come from? to walk knowingly into danger like this. I'll tell you, I'll tell you where the faith comes from. The, the faith comes from everywhere he's been so far, <laughs> right? He's preached the gospel. Some have believed. So there's been success and, and lives are being changed and some have opposed and he's been beaten and imprisoned and tortured and stoned and every step of the way, Jesus has been right there with him. That's where the faith comes from. The faith comes from stepping into risk and stepping into danger and finding that Jesus is faithful and never left him. That's where the faith comes from, to walk knowingly into Jerusalem. So um, Paul goes to Jerusalem and we think maybe, maybe something big's gonna happen. Maybe that's why there's, there's been all of this tension building up for a couple chapters for him to get to Jerusalem. But when he gets there, nothing really happens. I mean, he meets the apostles. He kind of says hi to all of them. He goes to the temple and gets in big trouble there and gets arrested. So he gets arrested within about a week of being in the city of Jerusalem, which the Holy Spirit told him was gonna happen. Not a big surprise. And then while he's in jail in Jerusalem, again, Paul's gotta be wondering, what, what is happening? Like, I've been planting churches all over the world. I gotta get to Rome. I, Rome is the place I gotta be, and now I'm stuck in jail in Jerusalem. What gives? Here's, here's what happens after he's arrested. Acts 23, 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So he's in prison. Again, not sure how he's gonna achieve his goal of getting to Rome so the gospel can get to the ends of the earth. And Jesus, it just says, I love the phrase, it just says he stood by him. Jesus just showed up and stood by him. How encouraging is that? How powerful is the presence of Jesus in our moments of doubt and fear and uncertainty about how things are going and are we doing the right thing and is this worth what it's costing me? And what does Jesus do? He stands by him. And he says, take courage. Take courage, which again reflects Paul. Paul must have been discouraged. He must have been afraid. So Jesus says, don't be afraid. Take courage. You're doing the right thing and you're gonna keep doing the right thing and I'm gonna get you to Rome. Don't you worry about that. So from there, um, we see uh, Paul in jail for a while in Jerusalem. He has a couple of trials with a couple of um, leaders in the area. And after being in jail for two years in, in the city of Caesarea, uh, he has another trial. And in that trial, 
he does something that only a Roman citizen can do. The Roman citizens all have a right to have their case heard by the emperor. So Paul stands up and says, I want to see Caesar. I am appealing to Caesar. And when he does that, he sets in motion a plan that cannot be reversed. The Roman law says, if he appeals to Caesar, to Caesar he must go. So they put him on a ship across the Mediterranean, a terrible trip, by the way. He ends up getting shipwrecked and the whole, everybody on the ship almost dies, but they, you know, Paul sort of keeps everybody together and eventually he gets to Rome where they chain him up to a soldier and the book of Acts ends right there. And you're like, well, what happened next? What happened to Paul? Where did he go? What, what, did he get to see Caesar? Did he get to preach the gospel to Caesar? Like, what happened next? This is where we're going to talk about Acts 29 uh, next week. Um, so. But we do get the letters of Paul. So while he's in prison in Caesarea and while he's in prison in Rome, Paul writes a lot of letters to churches. That's what most of our New Testament is. And one of the, we think the last letter that he wrote was to uh, Timothy. It's called 2 Timothy. And here's what Paul writes when he believes that he's at the end of his life. He writes this to Timothy, for I'm already being poured out as, an, as a drink offering for the, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Man, what, what a great testimony for Paul to get to the end and be able to say, I did, I did what I was supposed to do. I was, I was faithful and obedient to what Jesus put in front of me, and now my reward is right around the corner. Man, that's, that's where I want to be. I want to get to the end and be able to say that, that I've, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I'm just waiting for his reward. How does he get there? He doesn't take an easy path. He told the people at Iconium, remember, it's through great tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God. We're gonna swim against the culture that wants nothing more than to pull us away from Jesus-centered living. And so it's going to be through risk and discomfort and danger, but guess what? I think Paul proved our thesis that danger with Jesus is better than safety without. Because with Jesus, we get peace and joy and purpose. We get forgiveness of our sins. We get hope of heaven. And without Jesus, it doesn't matter how safe and comfortable and convenient our lives are. We don't get peace and joy and purpose, forgiveness of our sins and hope of heaven. Danger with Jesus is better than safety without. And friends, what, what I'm afraid of is that we, we live in a culture that wants our faith to sort of function like an umbrella that protects us. Some of you are like, you can't open umbrellas indoors. Yes, you can. It's okay. Uh, it's not in the Bible. I, we want our faith to function like an umbrella that protects us from all the bad things that could happen to us in life, right? If God loves us, shouldn't he protect us? Shouldn't he keep our family safe? Shouldn't he keep us healthy? Like, those are the things that we think should happen because God loves us, then we will be blessed. And by, by our definition of blessing, he's gonna bless us the way we wanna be blessed, which means we're gonna have, we're gonna have a pretty easy life and retirement's gonna be great and we don't have to do anything for, you know, for the last 20 years of our lives. And, and all of our family is gonna be, they're gonna love us forever. And like, it's just gonna be, like we think this is what's owed to us because we have chosen the way of Jesus. But is that what we see from the people who follow Jesus in scripture? No, 
It's not even close. In fact, Jesus continually invites people out of comfort. He invites people out of convenience, out of leisure, out of luxury. You remember the rich young ruler who goes to Jesus? I mean, this guy, he's, he's got the life. He's got all the money he could ever want, and he stands there in front of Jesus and says, I've kept the whole law. I've kept the Ten Commandments. I am righteous and wealthy. What more could there be? And Jesus says, give up your wealth and follow me. He invites people out of comfort and leisure and luxury and into peace and joy and purpose and meaning and ministry. And we, we got to ditch these umbrellas. We've got to recognize this is not the life. This protected, sheltered life is not what we've been called to. We've actually been called to step in to danger, to walk away from comfort and convenience and luxury. And I'm not saying danger for danger's sake or risk for risk's sake, that we should just be adventurous spirits and charge foolishly and play chicken in the streets with our bicycles. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we follow wherever the Spirit leads us, even, even through danger, even away from comfort, even into inconvenience. So as we close, I just want to ask you to ponder um, a couple of questions. First is, is there something that the Holy Spirit has been nudging you to do that you haven't done, probably because of fear, probably because of fear of losing something that is important to you? probably because of fear of walking away from some level of protection, some level of safety, security, comfort, convenience. I've got a few suggestions, some things that, that the Holy Spirit has convicted me about throughout my life, so maybe these are true for you. Is it possible that the Holy Spirit is nudging you, has been nudging you to give more generously? The Holy Spirit's kind of looking at your life going, hey, what you're giving is great, but it's not costing you anything. It's not changing your lifestyle. You can still do whatever you want. And maybe, maybe the Spirit is nudging you to give more generously. And you've, you've avoided that because you, you don't want to let go of anything that you currently have. You like the stuff that you have. You like the things that you can do. Maybe the Holy Spirit's nudging you in that direction and you're letting fear stand in the way. Maybe the Spirit's been nudging you to meet your neighbors. Some of you don't, don't know the people who live around you. And the Spirit's been nudging you because your preacher nudges you regularly about this. And the Holy Spirit's been nudging you to meet your neighbors, but you're like, I don't know, maybe they won't like me and I don't really need more friends. I've got all the friends I need and it just sounds complicated and inconvenient and a lot of time. And you've allowed this, this culture to just suck you in as though your comfort is really what it's all about. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been nudging you to join a group here at Cicero Christian Church to get involved in some kind of community, like a microchurch or a Bible study. And you just thought, I can't add one more thing to my calendar. I'm too busy to do that. So uh, you've avoided that nudge. You've kind of pushed the Holy Spirit off there. Maybe the Spirit's been nudging you to do something more significant, like get involved in cross-cultural missions or take a missions trip or Go into ministry, go back to college and get a, a Bible degree so you can minister and teach and I don't know, maybe the Spirit's been nudging you to do that and you thought, at my age, come on. You guys know Moses was 80 when he started leading the people of Israel, right? Here's, here's the thing. I think it's normal to be afraid of things like that. Scary things are scary. I mean, it's okay to be afraid of scary things. But the question I think we have to ask is, 
can the object of my fear take away from me the thing that matters most? In other words, if the worst should happen, will I lose what matters most to me? If what matters most to you is either your safety, comfort, and convenience or the safety, comfort, and convenience of people that you care about, your children or grandchildren, spouse, parents, if the safety, comfort, and convenience of people is your highest priority, then the chance is that, yes, you could lose what matters most to you if you follow Jesus, if you're obedient and faithful, and you follow the Holy Spirit's nudge, there's a chance you could lose that. But if what matters most to you is something else, like what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, he, he addresses our fears. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is saying that you could die and that would not be the worst thing that could happen, <laughs> right? You could lose your life following Jesus and that would not be the worst thing that happened. There's something worse than that. Losing your relationship with your creator, the one who bought you, adopted you, redeemed you, invited you into his kingdom and his family, paid for your sins, and is, and is leading you into a new creation, like losing your relationship with him, that's the worst that could happen. So is the object of your fear, if the worst could happen, if you obey what the Spirit is nudging you to do, and the worst could happen, could you lose what matters most? And if not, now it's just a matter of negotiating our terms. Like, what am I willing to sacrifice? What am I willing to give? Essentially, how far do I trust Jesus? Do you know how we grow in our trust? We step out in faith. And Jesus is there and our trust grows. We step into danger and Jesus is there and our trust grows. We step away from our own comfort and Jesus is there and our trust grows. We step away from security and Jesus is there and our trust grows. Do you want a strong faith? Take a risk, take a step. Whatever the Holy Spirit has been nudging you to do, just say yes and do it and see if Jesus isn't there on the other side. Might it cost you something? Yes, it might. But could it cost you what matters most? No way, no way. Friends, I just wanna invite you to pray about this with me as we close. Um, I want you to ask, is, is the Holy Spirit nudging me to do something that I have been putting off or avoiding doing, mostly because of fear, often because of inconvenience or discomfort? Would you pray that prayer with me? And then ask for the courage to be obedient and follow through. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Paul and the way that he just continued to step out into danger, into risk, and how you were there for him every time. God, I thank you for the ways that you have brought us into peace and joy through the risks we've taken and the sacrifices we've made. And Father, I know that you're not done with us because we're still here. So what's next? Father, what, what do you want me to do? What is your spirit nudging me to do that I'm putting off? Would you convict my heart and the hearts of my brothers and sisters here this morning so that as we step into a life of faith that you could work through us to make a difference in your kingdom? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we're gonna close with a song. I invite you to stand. And um, let me just encourage you uh, with this. The reason why this matters is because the mission 
to take the gospel to the ends of the earth isn't finished. The mission to take the, guy, the gospel to the end of your street is probably not finished. And as long as we've got mission in front of us, we have to be people of faith. And faith looks like stepping out into the unknown, into uncertainty, into risk, into sacrifice, and finding Jesus right there with us. When we get this right, friends, more and more people will come to know Christ. There may be someone else's relationship with God on the line and whether we obey what the Spirit's nudging us to do. So I just want to encourage you. You've, you've, got, you've been invited into something awesome and something big. Let's pray for the courage to step into that as we, as we sing this song.